Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 224, where we are going to be covering an extremely important topic, medical freedom and choice with special guests Jackie Schlegel and Rebecca Hardy from Texans for Vaccine Choice. Now, I think even beyond Texas, this is a really important topic, especially in today's current climate, to learn about how passionate people can impact public policy and the power of being informed. Absolutely. I know that I was really moved by the organization. It's Texans for Vaccine Choice and had the ability to participate in a member meeting before the end of 2020. And I was just blown over with the amount of work and outcomes that these powerful women have done with no political background and just a whole lot of passion to support our children's rights. And the idea, which which I really love, the, the mantra or main phrase that they use is parents call the shots. So this is not an anti-vax episode. This is an episode about medical empowerment and parental choice and ensuring that our children have access to schools, to jobs, to future and freedom while still being able to make choices about what goes into their body (laughs) and being able to weigh out the cost of benefit at every medical intervention with informed choice. Do we want to talk for a second, Allie, about the link for matching donations for this episode? Sure. So we have opted out of sponsorship for this episode so that we could actually give those sponsorship dollars to the organization. And at today's episode notes, we will be putting a link where you can match donations with us. Um, You will hear about all of the amazing work this organization is doing, again, to maintain that autonomy or body body freedom um, for our children throughout adulthood and beyond. And um, I know as a parent and a healthcare practitioner that this is really an organization that I'm quite passionate in supporting. So we will have a link in today's episode where we will be matching your donations. And um, if you find support or gathered messaging within their positioning, I suppose. Um, I think that'd be a really great way to support the organization. We'll share at the end their proclamation um, to Texans right to their livelihood. And I think that it would be really difficult for people to not get on board with, again, the individual's right to their medical decision versus state. All right, let me go ahead and read their bio and then we'll bring them on. In 2015, when legislators were led astray and filed oppressive bills that would take away parental rights and vaccine choice, Jackie Schlegel stepped up to the plate and said, not on my watch. She threw her hat into the political arena. In just four short years, she took a group of passionate moms and turned it into the epitome of a grassroots organization, setting an unprecedented standard for the nation 
and even drawing worldwide attention. And her counterpart, Rebecca Hardy, is a speech-language pathologist who has encountered many children with profound vaccine injuries. These experiences created a passion for protecting others from these kind of negative health outcomes, which she's turned into activism. Rebecca currently serves as its director of state policy for Texans for Vaccine Choice. Whether it's meeting with legislators, drafting legislative strategy, or block walking for candidates, Rebecca is dedicated to protecting medical liberties and informed consent for all Texans. So that fledgling group of just 20 that they started with is now a political action committee and educational foundation with over 30,000 social media followers, as well as 12,000 official members who proudly align themselves with Texans for vaccine choice. Thanks to Jackie and Rebecca's endless energy and passion, this group is organized with local branches, core members, and team members impacting their schools, their communities, and their legislators. Their unshakable dedication inspires all members to have a laser focus on their mission of protecting and advancing informed consent, medical privacy, and vaccine choice. Okay, so let's start things off here with just introducing listeners to Texans for Vaccine Choice and maybe sharing a little bit about your personal experience and concerns with medical choice and freedom. If you want to go first, Jackie. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Um, I'm Jackie Schlegel. I am the Executive Director of Texans for Vaccine Choice. And I love to say I'm really just a mom. (laughs) I've said that for so many years, but isn't that wonderful? Because so many of us found ourselves as a part of this movement, really based on nothing but love for our children. That's actually something that comes up a lot in my work. Well, um, uh, someone will ask me, what, what brings you here? What drives you here? And I say, my children. And they're like, no, but really like what keeps you going and keeps fueling you and what drives your passion? And I'm like, really? My children. That is <laughs> what brings me here. I am. I am driven by my children and my mom. And in in particular, I came to this movement. 20 years ago. I cannot believe it's been 20 years now um, when I became a mom and gave birth to a precious, um, healthy child who was injured by her vaccines. You know, I, I, researched all things as a parent and I looked at car seats and I looked at bedding and I the breastfeeding and I had laid out all of these things for her and I never gave vaccines a second thought I just didn't I was vaccinated that's just what we do Mm -hmm. as parents to protect our children and she had a severe irreversible vaccine injury. And that's what opened my eyes to really the vaccine safety. It wasn't until 2015 when there was legislation here in the state of Texas that would have removed our rights to send our children to school if they weren't up to date with any and all vaccines that I became um, an activist and I entered the political realm. And it was twofold. It was, you know, protecting my child who had already been injured. It was, um, protecting the rights of my two healthy children who were attending public school. And it was a very logistical decision for me. I need my children to go to school. Someone has to fight back against this tyranny. And that's when Texans for Vaccine Choice was born in 2015. 
Wow. And at that time, how old was your oldest daughter? Oh my goodness. Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) The years are flying by. Um, Is it 14? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She'll, in March, she will be 20, which kind of blows my mind. My children have grown up doing Texans for Vaccine Choice alongside of me. Awesome. That's incredible. And let's hear your background and what brought you to the movement, Rebecca. Yes. Well, again, thank you for having us on. This is such an honor. And um, so my background is I too am essentially just a mom at the time that the vaccine vaccine mandate bill was filed in the Texas legislature back in 2015. I um was I am a speech pathologist by degree and trade and uh, practicing at that time. And, but really I was just a mom and uh, kind of was, had my head down living very, a very quiet life as far as the vaccine issue went. And uh, we, my husband and I made, you know, different decisions regarding uh, vaccines for our two precious girls. And uh, it was also a logistical issue when that bill was filed. And it, because my kids needed to go to school using the exemption affidavit. And um, that was uh, very terrifying to think about losing the rights to send them to school as I saw fit. Um, I like to joke around that I was literally every uh, candidate's worst nightmare as far as it came to voting. I mean, I was that person that showed up to vote and was like, oh, I think that name looks familiar, or I saw more yard signs for that person. <laughs> and it's it's terrifying to think about how I what it engaged politically at that time. And it I it only takes one bill to wake you up to, oh my, these people are already in Austin voting on how I get to choose to live my life and make decisions for my family. And it was that wake up call that got me connected with Jackie and whew, we have had some wild um, experiences over the last nearly six years now. Yes, we can't wait to cover all of the successes and the barriers that are ahead of us in, in you know, this current session that has just started. But I want to first just remind listeners, we've covered in past episodes how vaccines work, including our concerns as functional medicine practitioners. And it's always important to understand that there's a substantial difference from what is injected versus ingested. And a lot of times when there is pushback, against vaccine choice from the parent, the conversation is that, you know, aluminum is safe up to X amount or, or this compound, this additive is safe up to this amount. But those studies are looking at ingestion, not injection. And it's really important to discern the variants. You know, when we ingest something, this is impacted by our stomach acid, by enzymes, by barriers of defense of the immune system. We go through a detox process in the livers and the kidney, in the liver and the kidneys. And, you know, this is all going to have a different influence in the absorption process versus something that is injected and can cross the blood brain barrier. So when we're looking at toxicity of an oral, you cannot compare that to injection. Um, And we've covered in past episodes 179, COVID, immune, and the flu, where we covered the mechanisms of vaccine and identified what adjuvants are and how they work. In episode 188 with Dr. Christian Northrup, we covered five vaccine myths. In episode 214, we covered my daughter Stella's genetic SNPs, so her genetic 
status and what were her susceptibilities or influencing factors on inflammation, autoimmune tendencies, neurological risk factors, and detox pathway factors. And we talked about medical autonomy in that episode. And then most recently in episode 219, which I titled DVOC, because they're on to me, and long haulers. And we talked about the mRNA vaccine with the new one that's hitting everything with COVID. Um, so again, really important to just refresh yourselves with that. Today's not going to be an education 101 on the harms of vaccine. This is going to be really more of a conversation about how you can get involved. And one of my favorite um, slogans of TFVC is parents call the shots. Um, and I think that that's what this is all about is you being able to do your own research, make your own educated decision and have the autonomy or the freedom to make the choices for your household. Yeah, that resonates so heavy for me as a mama of a four-month-old, right? When we're just starting to hear about uh, the vaccine schedule. But let's talk a little bit about just the primary concerns about mandated vaccines or vaccines in general. So obviously being able to go to school is a big concern. Yeah. That was a big driver that got you guys here. Well, I just want to point out as you're going through that list of all those episodes in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there's so many legislators. Can we give that list out to the legislators who need to hear those conversations taking place? Um, so that's a large part of what we do um, is educating our communities and our legislators. So I'm so happy to hear that you're putting that out to your community as well. Um, those are resources that we can use when um, engaging politically. So vaccine choice. Um, it is very interesting when you read the headlines and you turn on the news. Um, several, there's been numerous times that I have done media interviews and they will say, you know, Texans for Vaccine Choice executive director and or anti-vaccine mm. activist yes. and is like, wait, stop, back, back up the train. Like, do you see the name of our organization? We are Texans for Vaccine Choice. We are here to protect your rights to inform consent medical privacy and vaccine choice. That is ultimately something that all of us, regardless of where you land on this issue, should be able to say, yes, you should have the right to make this decision for yourself. A lot of times with even like the older population, the older generation, they'll say, well, I'm with you, but what about polio? You know, that's a very, very serious, you know, disease. And without getting into all of the reasons why we could have that argument and that discussion, I simply say there are over 300 vaccines in the making today. Once you hand over that right in the name of this really deadly disease like polio, you hand them over to all of them. And then I hand them the current shot schedule and they, are, they just almost gasp. They are just so taken aback. There's no way this is today's current shot schedule. Well, yes, this is absolutely what we are giving to our children. We are giving nine vaccines in one day. And so a lot of people don't realize that. They only see what is 
on, on the headline news, which is anti-vaxxers are bad and we need to vaccinate. Um, we have long warned at Texans for Vaccine Choice that school exemptions are a small part of the battle. They are rolling out a robust adult vaccination schedule. They have spent years and years honing in on their messaging, how to pit neighbor against neighbor, how to create divisiveness in your communities and your families, how to message this to make it so hot that you don't want to question. You don't want to be labeled that anti-vaxxer. And they've been very successful at doing this. And we knew it was only a matter of time before they would reach that point where this is no longer about school exemptions. This is mm -hmm. your right to work. This is your right to go to the grocery store. Um, this is your, you know, really about your livelihood. Mm -hmm. and to I, fly, to attend a concert. To, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm exactly. talking about the big crucial ones, but yes, it, they're, they're going after all avenues to it feels like make your life as miserable as possible. So the only thing left to do is just comply. I speak with a lot of families, um, a lot of individuals that have very diverse views. And I have been shocked, quite honestly, even with this, this COVID vaccine, of how individuals who have never questioned, you know, um, before, well, we're seeing multiple different things. We're, we're seeing those who've never questioned vaccines now questioning, new to the movement, which gives me a lot of hope. But we're also seeing those who generally don't take their flu shot, don't, you know, have a lot of doctor intervention, but they just want to get back to normal life. Mm -hmm. And they believe this is the avenue and they're willing to do just about anything Thing they can to get the vaccine and get back to life. And that to me as an activist is terrifying. The complacency is what haunts me every single day. And the combination, I believe, of the turning a blind eye and uh, maybe not being aware of or turning your shoulder from the censorship that's going on as well. You know, we've shared that with our listeners. Uh, Dr. Christian Northrup, uh, really in that episode 188, she, she uh, fights the polio conversation quite eloquently. So that's a good one to, to listen to for sure. Um, I want to talk about just for listeners, kind of the pace and the tone of all of this. So I was horrified in October of 2020, just, you know, this past October when Washington DC approved a bill allowing children at age 11 to get, you know, vaccines without parents' consent at schools. There's co coercive educational platforms that actually shame and create segregation of or polarity of, of child against parent. Um, and there's actually already educational pieces about how to go behind your parents' back to get vaccinated. And the concern of this for me is if your child has genetic mutations like GST1 or MTHFR and has a seizure at the dinner table and you have no idea that they were injected with a vaccine that day, that's a big concern as a parent to think that the sovereignty of your child or the sanctity of your child's body can be compromised as early as age 11 when there's still a very vulnerable discernment of good and bad and truth and lie and can easily be manipulated. 
Um, so that was a huge concern. I'm sure that that was an area that, that lit a fire additionally. Well, the fact that we're even having this conversation that children, children, like I'm a parent of three kids. Um, I have teenagers and they, they are brilliant. I'm quite convinced they are going to do big things in life. And yet they do the stupidest things on earth <laughs> because they are teenagers. Right. Uh -huh. And that's right. like, sometimes I come in the house and I'm like, why did you think this was remotely a good idea to, you know, do this? But they're teenagers, you know, they're learning life, they're navigating life. And the fact they were even having the conversation that a child could be put in the position where they're in a school, they're being offered a pizza party for yeah. compliance. Right. Okay. Y'all, this is actually happening in Texas schools right now. And I would really love it if Rebecca would chime in because we've had very specific cases with flu shot clinics um, here in the state of Texas and children wrongfully vaccinated. This isn't just happening in other states where they're passing legislation. As I speak, one of the things that is getting more and more difficult for me is the fact that we don't need legislation for these violations to take place. They're happening in our community. So uh, Rebecca, can you chime in and tell us a little bit about some of the flu shot clinics here in Texas? Yes, I can. So um, there have um, historically, you know, school nurses in the state of Texas, usually they do not typically in general have store or administer or offer vaccines. What we see happening are these third party flu shot clinics that are invited by the districts to come into the campuses and provide flu shots um, during instructional time. So these parents will, they will send home consent forms and, oh, don't get me started on the consent forms. It's very, they, these consent forms have all historically been very coercive where you have to say, yes, I want my child vaccinated to do my part to protect my family and my community. And the other option is, no, I do not wish to protect my family and community. Right, <laughs> and right. so just getting started on the consent form, it's so outrageous. And so not only are these children being vaccinated without their parents there, uh, during instructional, during the instructional day, they're getting removed from the classroom for a medical procedure at school. But we have had instances where parents who have turned in no forms, like where they have marked the no box, and their children were still called down and illegally and inappropriately vaccinated during these flu shot clinics. It's absolutely wild. And, you know, I was watching how the media was going to cover this approved bill. And the Washington Post, I just have to read this manipulative language because this is what the public is exposed to. And, and this is the way that, that the information is delivered. You know, so there was a councilman that was against the bill, uh, Trayon White, and it's a, he had stated, this is his quote, parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, and care of their children. And then it says, White said, before claiming that vaccines, which are generally safe, are a risk to children's health. Councilman Trayon White cited the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which has been used by conspiracy theorists to argue that vaccines are dangerous. 
<sighs> I just thought that that was the wildest thing that, that, I mean, so there's so many different words in there that are manipulative and shaming and judgmental. And of course, throwing in conspiracy theorist or crazy when passion or information that questions the narrative is presented. And, and that's a time that we have to all, that should light the, the hairs on everyone's back, regardless of if they're for or against, to understand how there's manipulation and judgment. And, and that's what creates censorship. Well, if you will allow me, I would love to share a little bit. We had last uh, fall, we got involved with the State Board of Education because they were tasked with rewriting the health TEKS, the Texas Essential Knowledge Skills. These are, you know, what guide the curriculum in our Texas public school classrooms. And, you know, historically, there's been quite a few vaccine-related TEKS and we got involved in the TEK, you know, revision process, urging the State Board of Education to remove the vaccine language from the TEKS because of the countless reports that we get from parents who, whose kids come home from school on vaccine TEKS day and have these horror story, stories of what happened in their classroom that day where their biology teacher had any child that wasn't vaccinated to raise their hand and then proceed to launch into this huge lecture on how stupid, uneducated, you know, et cetera, their, their parents are. And it creates this huge, you know, you can just, it's a huge concern for the parents and the kids have a very hard time navigating the, the, you know, the, the pitfalls, the, that's not the word I'm looking for. The children have a hard time navigating what happens afterwards, the backlash from a conversation like that. Yeah. I read those teaks actually. I guess it was y'all's email blast that I yes. body and copied and sent to um, our state legislators and, um, you know, got a form response back, but um, let's talk, I guess, a little bit about just background in legislation, whether either of you had background prior to this, um, what, you know, what background did you have? And then maybe a little bit about tips for getting involved. So beyond copying and pasting form emails, which I think is honestly a great start and something I hadn't really been doing until maybe this past year that a lot of this stuff really started to kind of light on fire. Well, we all laughed and laughed and laughed at your question as far as our previous life and experience, um, <laughs> because there was none. Yeah. <laughs> and we joke that, you know, I, I mean, for me, I literally, I didn't know who my state representative was when I started the organization Texans for Vaccine Choice. I'll never forget sitting down as a keyboard warrior, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. So who's my state rep? How do I find this out? And so we do kind of laugh about it now, five, you know, almost six years down the road, because that also has become a basic principle at Texans for Vaccine Choice. Everybody has a role and you have something to offer to this movement. Um, I had, you know, no experience in this whatsoever, but I had the dedication and I was willing to show up and get active and get involved. And Becca, you know, might've been a little bit further down the road than I was. I think she knew who her state, her state rep was, um, but it was all new to us when we launched the organization back in 2015. 
Yes, I did not. I did know who my state rep was, and I might have known who Ted Cruz was, but that was probably <laughs> the extent of who my elected officials were. Um, I will say this, though, right after that first legislative session where we kind of hopped in in the middle of session when that mandate bill was filed, after that session, you know, we had our website up and we said we really need a good page on navigating exemptions in the state of Texas, you know, like almost an FAQ page. And I said, well, I'll see what I can do. And lo and behold, I found out I actually have a skill for reading code and <laughs> deciphering what it means and relaying those rights in layman's language. And uh, it was what a, I call it a latent superpower. I didn't know I had I it. it. <laughs> That's kind of what birthed uh, the, you know, as my role here at, as policy director. Um, but uh, I, I don't know how I have that skill, but I'm thankful for it. One of the things I love about what we do here at Texans for Vaccine Choice is there are so many wonderful organizations and outlets that are doing the podcast and they're doing the information and we're putting out a ton of information, which is driving people our way. It's such a crucial step. But one of the things we pride ourselves in Texans for Vaccine Choice is we work from the bottom up. If you notice our action alerts, if you participated before, get down to the very localized level. We are in our school boards. We are in our local city councils. We're in our communities. We go even as far as to say, you know, having these conversations in your churches, in your families, and we equip our members to have those conversations at the grocery store. And I know that seems so basic, right? Oh, I'm going to focus on having a conversation at the grocery store. But when you multiply that by 50,000 people, 60,000 people that listen to the information, that commit to doing one thing in their home, in their community, in their church, running for school board. Um, we put out an action alert a couple months ago, and one of the ways to get involved was in your local political party. And I got feedback recently from somebody who said, well, you put out this email a couple months ago about getting involved in our local you know, political party, and I then got an email that there was a, a chair position open. So I thought, well, what the heck? I should run for it. <laughs> well, this vaccine choice activist is now pivotal in her community leading a political party and she invited me to come speak and it just it blew my mind. She says, I never would have done that had you not said just Find a role to get involved and use that to advance the message of vaccine choice. And then here I am at this event speaking to thousands of people about vaccine choice that never would have happened if this woman would not have read that action alert and said, okay, well, there's a vacancy in this position in my hometown. I'm going to step up and I'm going to fill it and I'm going to use that position then to invite Texans for Vaccine Choice to come and spread the message. So it's that type of work. Um, PTAs, we have individuals who sign up with their local PTAs uh, to get involved and to make sure that we have eyes and ears in our schools. Love important, it. Yeah. important roles. 
Yeah. I, I know I was really impressed, Jackie, when I met you guys a couple months back and learned about your direct involvement also at the Capitol and your diligence with legislation. And I also, like my only experience, I mean, I'm sure I had some classes back in middle school, but I think of like the, I'm just a bill on Capitol Hill song, you know, from school of rock. That's, that's, that's my understanding of government, essentially. Uh, I stay with functional medicine, but I'd love for you to break down how things work. Of course, we have a lot of national listeners and we'll kind of get there in a moment, but let's talk Texas for the, the time being since it's where you guys are directly involved. How things work. What's like a 101 explanation on session um, and what you directly do engaging with legislature. This is why we have Rebecca Hardy and thank God <laughs> we have her because I love my role as executive director, but I could not function in that building if I did not have somebody who um, could pay so much attention to the details in the organization um, that she does with the policy and the advocacy efforts at Texans for Vaccine Choice. So Becca, tell us a little bit about what we do at the Capitol. Yes. Okay. Well, I think this conversation should start with kind of an overview, uh, just the briefest of overviews of what the Texas political cycle it looks like. It is a two-year cycle. Um, I consider the start of session the beginning of that two-year cycle. So the state legislature convenes every other year, the second Tuesday of, of January, for five months or up to 140 days. It's roughly five months. And uh, then after session is out, that's when we have people will start declaring to, re to run again or to run for a position. We have a fairly long campaign season. You know, the next in the even years in March, we have the primary. And then that November, we have the general election and then we start all over in that next odd year with the session with those duly elected officials from the November general election. And during the legislative session, there's a, several key dates. Yesterday, everybody gaveled in. They, they, the, they were sworn in in both the House and the Senate. And then towards the Mid to late February is when committees are assigned. And once the committees are assigned, that's when the real work gets going because bills will get referred to committees and then the chairman or the chairwoman of that committee can assign committee hearings. Um, if and when a bill gets voted out of a committee is kind of a catapult for that bill to into the legislative process. You know, you talked about the I'm just a bill. There are so many steps for a bill once it's drafted and filed to actually get to Governor Abbott, our Texas governor, to his desk. And, you know, starting with the committee hearing vote, and then it then goes to uh, the calendars committee to be placed on a committee, uh, to be placed on the House agenda for a vote on the House floor. If that happens, then that bill would then go over to the Senate and start the process all over again. And then the hope is that good legislation makes it out of the entire process in time before the legislature adjourns. Um, the Texas cycle is set up to make it very difficult to pass a bill, which works is there, it's just, it's both a pro and a con because Bad legislation is hard to pass, but our good legislation is as well. Um, 
So that's kind of an overview of the legislative session. And uh, it goes until I believe the last day this go around is May 31st is when they will gavel out if they do indeed take the entire 140 days, which they always do. And, um, and then during the legislative session, we are team TFEC is there every day and we are making appointments, meeting with the legislators and their staff, building relationships, building our coalition and hosting events for our members where it is appropriate. And uh, we try to get them as engaged as possible and give them several, if not dozens of opportunities each session to get involved. So I wanna chime in here and say, um, I have the honor of being at the Capitol just about every single day during legislative session, which is something that's incredibly important to us. Um, that was something that I noticed right out of the gate when I launched the organization and why we decided ultimately to launch Texans for Vaccine Choice is that you needed one organization whose sole um, you know, focus was on vaccine choice, protecting our rights, but also had the ability to put somebody there on a full-time basis. I, I think this is just crucial to the movement that no matter what happens, if they try to throw a hearing on us last minute, it happened last legislative session, there was a really, really bad bill. They waited till five o'clock on the Friday evening. They sent <laughs> The most, the majority of the staff was gone and they tried to fly under the radar and have a hearing for this bill. By the grace of God, we had Rebecca who was, who is constantly monitoring um, the hearing schedule. She caught it because she was watching. I had just left the Capitol on that Friday afternoon. Um, it was late in the day, honestly. Nothing should have been happening, but I was able to turn around, get back into that building. They thought they were going to push this bill through. They thought they were going to have the hearing um, without any contested voice, without anybody there saying, nope, stop. And when I showed up, it was an incredibly awkward, as you can imagine, <laughs> hearing because they never in their wildest dreams thought anybody was going to be able to get back to the Capitol. Um, and we killed the bill. I mean, we went on record. We, you know, I told them why this was a bad bill. They knew it was a bad bill. We've been working on it for months in advance and they tried to, you know, do it over the weekend virtually when no one was paying attention and Texans for Vaccine Choice was there. Um, that was one of our more memorable events. And those things happen all throughout legislative session. But my favorite, even though that specific event, I was the only person who was able to get to the Capitol. Of course, my favorite, just most memorable and uplifting days are when we invite our members and our families to join us at the Capitol for very specific engagement days or Capitol uh, Kids Canvas Days, another event we do where our families come into the Capitol, they take the week's headline news. Um, you know, a year ago was measles, we were all gonna die of measles. And so we canvassed the Capitol and talked about the facts on measles and the measles vaccine. Um, when they labeled us, uh, the World Health Organization, a global threat, we put together some fast facts about that and we canvassed the entire capital. But Rebecca has really, really honed in 
on effective advocacy and she organizes it so well. So Rebecca, I know there's a lot of um, details up in the air with this legislative session because we still just don't know what it's gonna look like and is COVID gonna shut us down? But why don't you tell us a little bit about some of our events and how you plan them and maybe are we gonna have events this session? Are we gonna try to do something? Well, like you said, there's a lot of detail to still be worked out. Yesterday, we were at the Capitol for the swearing and ceremony, the opening day, they like to call it. and. It was very discouraging to walk the hallways with the offices, the legislator offices, and I would say a good 80 to 90% of the legislator doors have signage on them, basically doing their best to keep individuals like you and me and our, our members, our families out, uh, requiring masks, requiring negative testing, and requiring an appointment even to open the door. So there are going to be some challenges and some barriers, um, but guess what Team TFBC is? We are flexible, we are resilient, and we don't take no for an answer. So we are going to pivot and do what we organize around um, the, the information we have at this point. Um, so our citizen engagement days that Jackie mentioned our days that we organize, we have um, probably about four of them during the legislative session, or historically we have, we may have to alter that. But these are large groups. We've had anywhere between 40 and probably 150 people show up to these. And we have small groups with a small group leader, and we have a very targeted message based on legislation. Say a bill is gaining traction in a committee or gaining traction on the House floor or in the Senate, we would have a targeted message talking about why that bill is, why we oppose it or say a good bill gets some traction, why we support it and why those offices need to support or oppose it as well with us. These are days that we have folders of material, we have trained the small group leaders, we have equipped the individuals coming on how to navigate the day and how to be prepared to come. And I would say that not one person has ever left a citizen engagement day feeling like they did not move the needle for the cause in that building. Um, the canvas days that Jackie mentioned are was were a weekly event that we hosted last session where we invited our families. You know, this was these were events really geared towards kids because it was a quick pop in to the entire capital. So we um, would have office list and we would assign list by hallway and this and we even, you know, provided a script if the individual wanted to go off a script and if they didn't, they could craft their own message, but we would have a page of information with a targeted message, usually based on some big splashy headline about the quote anti-vaxxers from the week before. And we would provide the, you know, the the facts behind the narrative for those offices. And the first week we did this, we provided a red file folder with an introduction letter from Jackie. And we basically said, you know, every week we will be in here with some material 
this file file folder is for you to hold, you know, file it and to hold on to because at the end of session, when the votes start happening, we did not want any office to have an excuse for a bad vote. We wanted them to have the facts, have the information, have the 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 stories from our members so that they would be equipped and be without excuse for any bad vote. Not one office could say, I didn't know. They never came to my office. And those were very fun. I can't, the few times I got to go down and experience the Canvas days, I can't tell you how happy it, it, it makes us to have reinforcements in that building. It can be a dark building, both physically and spiritually. And to have these happy families with smiling children ready to walk the halls every week, just, it was like wind in our sails every yeah. week. Yeah, I, I remember really being moved when you guys talked about all of your successes. Uh, what last legislative session, there were 17 bills and, or what was it, 18 or 17 and, and all except for one, you guys were able to, knock it past, right? So all, all were killed except for the one? We've defeated every bill that has come our way. Wow. Um, and back in 2017, we actually passed two proactive pieces of legislation that were signed into law by the governor. We're very, very proud of that. Um, I do want to add here that, you know, with so much uncertainty for this legislative session, I kind of had this epiphany the last few days and everything that's going on with COVID and our response and the Capitol's response of, um, you know, I just, I don't think we're going to have our kids at the Capitol this mm -hmm. go around. Mm -hmm. um, there's just no way I can invite our families to bring their children to see the fear the and to yeah. see mm -hmm. the oppression. And it is, um, it is really a challenging time navigating this. And um, I want to protect our families and I want to protect our children and give them hope for our future. And it's a little bit difficult to navigate of how do we give them that hope? And yet we got to go fight this fight, even taking, I, I'm just going to tell you, taking the COVID test that was mandated to get into the building. I'm adamantly against any type of mandated medical mm -hmm. procedure, including yeah. COVID testing. And I really had to think about this and what was I willing to do to get into this building. And ultimately, um, I just thought about the thousands of families I represent that don't have the opportunity to show up and be in that building. And I took the test. I did not like taking the test. I was incredibly uncomfortable with taking the test. I was very, very thankful. Um, there didn't seem to be documentation. And some of the other questions I had, everyone was very friendly. I do want to say um, DPS and all the officers who have been manning the Capitol. It's, it's an intense environment right now. It, it feels very, you know, like they're putting these people in place to purposely keep us out. Mm -hmm. But the DPS officers have been incredibly friendly and several of them even thanked us for the work that we were doing inside of that building. But we took the test, got into the building, and now um, 
I, you know, I, one of the hardest parts about my job right now is I don't know where we're going to go as a state, but what I can tell you is Texans for Vaccine Choice is going to continue to be on the front lines. I'll take the COVID test. I'll, I'll do that. I'm not taking the vaccine. <laughs> so if we get to that point where I have to take a vaccine to enter the building, it's going to be a whole new level mm-hmm. of, you know, okay, y'all, this is very serious. We've got to fight back and you know, um, cause I'm not going to that level, but right now I, we're able to access the building. A lot of the offices are closed. Um, but we're not going to stop. We'll put out action alerts. We will call them. If they want a zoom meeting, we will zoom meeting with them, but they're still going to see Texans for vaccine choice in that building every single day, regardless of whether their office is locked or not, we're going to be there. So wild, <laughs> like you said, the the time you had to turn around and come rushing back. If you know if they were trying to sweep things under the rug, then imagine the level now with COVID. And, and it's and, it's an eerie feeling. I mean, yeah. it's a very eerie feeling to be there and to walk the halls and. Um, you know, it, it's in the logic, <laughs> like the logic with you have to take a COVID test. So my test came back clearly negative, you know, don't have COVID, but I still have to wear a mask. So if the test shows I'm negative, then what risk am I? Why You're not I have an to asymptomatic wear a mask? carrier. <laughs> if, <laughs> if the masks work, why do I have to take a test. And if we have masks and we have tests, then why do I have to make an appointment to see an office? Some of the offices um, not only have their doors locked, but staff out and said, we will communicate and conduct visits virtually. Y'all, these are people who make decisions about our lives. Mm -hmm. This isn't just some, you know, extra bonus, you know, agency we have. They will go and vote on bills that could become a law that states you know, that literally does something that affects our personal life. And the fact that we don't have access to them, I think even more horrifying if 2020 has shown us anything is that even though what they do as a legislative body affects us, in some sense, they don't even need that because they can just go to the local communities Um, the local governments. They can put so much fear in business owners. We are seeing that even with a lot of our supportive small businesses, they are complying with orders they never would have complied Mm -hmm. with because they don't want to become the next headline. They don't want their face to be put in the newspaper um, and have the liability. And I think that in and of itself ought to have all of us step back and pause and say, you know what? My neighbor across the street, I don't know what their beliefs are. I don't know what they stand for, but I'm going to stand for them and their rights and their livelihood. And until we start joining together as a community and as neighbors and we start defending each other, they're not going to do it for us. Yeah. I mean, it, it, when we 
separate from life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or, you know, understanding protecting freedom of speech should be that you protect an oppositional opinion and that that is what freedom of speech is. And I think that the divisiveness and the polarity has really created quite a crux. And then, as you said, we're kind of in this simmering pot (laughs) of comply, 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 because there might be a light at the end of the tunnel to to Mm -hmm. let us be free again and go back to quote unquote normal. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's the slippery slope that we all have to be aware of and we all have to maintain information and activism and be, be confident with holding integrity as, and that is, that comes back to this mama warrior, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, it's, it's nothing matters more than me protecting my child. Absolutely nothing. Um, God, family, me protecting my child. And that's kind of where the line goes. So when things challenge that, that should create an awareness in everyone. And we should feel this goosebump awareness of, okay, what are we watching? What's happening? Um, I want to talk about how your website kind of breaks things down. So for people, of course, want my audience to check out the work that you guys are doing and, um, we'll kind of full circle a little bit more on a grassroots level, what people can do, but you guys break things down into support, oppose and watching. Um, and that's now for this upcoming legislature. Can you kind of explain maybe some of the highlights in those three categories? Yes. So, um, we do have, we are still working on our bill list for the 87th legislative session, which is the one we just started yesterday. We will have three lists, bills we support, bills we oppose, and bills we are watching. So obviously the bills we support are those that have been filed by our champion legislators that would advance our rights or shore up protection of our current rights here in the state of Texas. There is so much room in the code for, you know, for more, for advancement of our rights. And so that's our goal with the bills we support. The bills we oppose, clearly we, so let me just go back examples of some of the bills we have supported in the past and bills we hope to get refiled by some champion legislators this session would be bills that would uh, allow parents to just print a blank exemption form um, from the health department's website. Currently, it's a pretty lengthy process to even request the forms um, on top of the fact that you have to provide the state with a lot of personal information, even to acquire the forms that are then mailed to you. Um, and so there's that bill there. We have a, a bill that would, um, that would make it where Medicaid doctors, doctors that receive Medicaid funding could not refuse to see a Medicaid patient based on vaccination uh, status. You know, the, the state clearly recognizes and honors exemptions. So it's only appropriate that these doctors that are also taking state funding accept exemptions. Um, we have a, our last session, we filed the Vaccine Safety Assurance Act that would basically say that children in the state of Texas, you cannot mandate a vaccine for school enrollment if the vaccine has not been tested for 
uh, mutagenic pro properties, carcinogenic properties, and a whole host of other items that, you know, it would be, you know, like testing it against, I don't know, say an inert placebo. Which has never happened. Heaven forbid all. That bill yeah. So much. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, heaven forbid we should have vaccines tested against, you know, in a double blind inert placebo testing environment, but that's not done in America. So the, we have a variety of bills that we would love to get filed, if not passed. Bills we oppose, the, you know, these bills, all bills that we either support or oppose would either support or go against our mission statement, which is to protect and advance informed consent, medical privacy, and vaccine choice. So we have, um, we historically always have a bill that changes MTRAC, I-M-M-T-R-I. AC, MTRAC is the vaccine registry in the state of Texas. Your, every state has most likely has some sort of vaccine registry. In Texas, this registry is opt-in, which means people have to give their express consent in order to have the state track their vaccines that they receive. Um, they, we historically always have a bill that would change our MTRAC system to an automatic enrollment and then you it would be an opt-out system you would then have to take the bureaucratic steps to get yourself removed from the registry and you know if the current the end what's ridiculous about mtrack is that the system currently does not work well at all people's vaccine re records are historically grossly inaccurate so it's not even an accurate system and we get reports nearly every week of somebody saying, I went to go remove my, I, I got a notification from the health department saying I was due for vaccines. Come to find out that they had, that the child, you know, they had given birth, they had declined consent, did not consent for registry for their newborn baby in Amtrak, but the hospital enrolled them anyway. And then they now have to go through the hoops to get unenrolled when they never consented in the first place. So this is a broken system that they want to now automatically enroll the entire state of Texas in. And that is a gross violation of informed consent, you know, and medical privacy. This, you, the state should only track this sensitive personal medical information with the express consent of the, of the citizen. Absolutely. And I remember telling Becky again with her four month old now, uh, I remember that being at the first appointment, like you fill out your application mm -hmm. to your pediatrician and in Houston at that time is where I was living. And it was a box that I had, I had to opt out actually. Um, so, you mm -hmm. know, you don't know the language of the forms of the particular pediatrician and there's all sorts of still levels of coercion that can be done in the check-in as well as in the appointment. And you're really overwhelmed as a new parent. You kind of don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> just trying to get through it. Yeah. It's like just one more thing to, to worry about. But I think having that autonomy is absolutely key. Yeah, I think I or signed those having, forms within the first few hours. Yeah, yeah, right. No doubt. Um, I want to touch on one last topic that was shocking to me um, <laughs> from the meeting I attended in December. And I think it's scary, but so important for listeners to know about if their child is not up to date of, of vaccinations, maybe they're doing a, a delayed plan or a complete exemption plan. Um, I was shocked to hear about the scenarios or involvement of CPS and how the infrastructure of this system works. 
to label negligence or, you know, maybe even worse, Munchausen by proxy. That was shocking. I, I was like, wait, how is this Munchausen? I don't understand. You're not suppressing your child, keeping them sick. Um, can you guys share a little bit on experience on that level? Because I know this is going to really hit the heartstrings of a lot of our audience and and maybe the, the lighter under, under their bottom to get them active. So I have to tell you, these cases shock me. Not only do they shock me, they haunt me. These are the cases that keep me up at night, probably because I do have three children, including one who is medically complex. And at any given time in her care, through many of our hospital visits and through many of our interactions with doctors, we've come very, very close to having doctors who, for whatever reason, were combative or for whatever reason, just almost had a chip on their shoulder of me taking charge of her care, me knowing more than they maybe they did on a particular subject. And to think that at any given time, one of them could have made a phone call, could make a phone call that would change the course of our lives forever. And to see it play out in other families where their children have been removed, it's something that truly haunts you and something that will not leave you, your mind. Um, I am not a CPS specialist, and I almost say thank God I'm not because this work is unlike anything I've ever seen in my entire life. But we recently have brought on somebody onto our team who is an advocate. That is what she does. She has a background in doing uh, family care services, um, in particular with CPS. And what I can tell you from my perspective of having the expert in our office is the phone calls are never ending, especially with our children with complex medical needs. I know as a parent of one of those children, you know the epidemic. You know, you see the, the train wreck ahead, right? It's my daughter's 20 years old. Okay. There weren't kids like her 20 years ago, just from my perspective of being this parent and seeing the numbers of these cases with the behavioral and the medically complex and the gastrointestinal and the failure to thrive. Okay. Mm -hmm. The medical establishment does not know how to handle these children. And for some of them, when they don't know how to handle them and they don't have answers, they need someone to blame. So who are they going to blame? The exhausted, sleep-deprived mother, naturally, right? She's the closest to the child. She's the one who, in her sleep-deprived moment, is challenging the doctors. And we are seeing this time and time again. It is the new, quote-unquote, refrigerator mom theory. Years ago, you were just cold hearted. And it was that behavior that caused your child to have autism or special needs. Now they're labeling it Munchausen by proxy. You are making your child sick or you are making up diagnoses to seek attention. So that is one component 
of casework that we're dealing with at Texans for Vaccine Choice. Now, I want to clarify, we're not attorneys, okay? We are, we are not um, experts at this, but we do have attorneys that we work with that we can connect families with. Of course, the other issue that we are running into on a regular basis is, you know, our healthy, happy families, their kids running outside, falls, you know, cuts their knee open, needs to go to the ER to get stitches. And the one of the first questions they ask is, are you up to date? For the majority of families, thank God, they're not going to run into any problems here. But occasionally you're going to have that doctor that is incredibly pro-vaccine. They have no history with your child. They don't care about your child's history. They're going to refer you um, as, you know, somebody who needs to be investigated. CPS, if I can have one message on this issue, is CPS is not a resource line. A lot of people think they're doing a really good job. You know, well, if it's in doubt, you know, we call CPS and they handle it. But what this can do to a family in turning their lives upside down is absolutely devastating. Um, so we hope to have some um, legislation to help fix some of these issues um, as well in the 87th legislature. Yeah, I think that that's, that was really shocking to me. I was like, oh, so my child breaks her arm and all of a sudden, you know, I'm in this like limelight spotlight on negligence. And then what shocked me about the Munchausen by proxy was in our functional medicine world, you know, I've always felt as a parent of an unvaccinated child that my due diligence is, uh, you know, knowing her genetics, know, you know, running her stool because she was a you know, emergency C-section and, and demonstrating microbiome needs or leaky gut elements or secretory IgA and you know, all these nerdy things. And hearing you guys say, like the example of a good parent, a pro-vigilant informed yes. parent is overeducated and that's a threat. Yes. And that's seen as also potentially some level of psychosis. Taking your child out of state for medical care. That is a flag. That is a sign um, that you, you know, that they will use against you. Um, seeking second opinions, having a variety of doctor. I mean, from, from my daughter, if I can just talk about her case, because that's what I know. That's what I'm the expert in. And we really do need to have Krista McIntyre back and maybe talk more about this issue. Um, but just by having multiple different practitioners, that can be a flag. Never mind that. As a mother, as a parent, I'm just going to the person that can give me answers. And if you can't give me answers, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I am obligated as her parent. And really, this is what fuels Texans for vaccine choice, coming back to what we opened up with. As a parent, as a mother, I is my responsibility. God gave me this child our children and we have to be their voice at the end of the day nobody is going to love them care for them or make better decisions for their care because we understand that we deal with the consequences of this decision i'm so thankful that i have good medical providers that respect that role yep. but when we talk about little things that we can do that add up to make a dip, big difference. I think that's something all in our personal lives, having practitioners that fall in line in our 
um, advocates and on our team. If you don't have a medical doctor who is a support system, who understands their role in your care, that's a huge red flag. We talk about what they deem red flags for us. Let's talk about what we deem as red flags mm -hmm. when right. finding a medical provider. And it wasn't too long ago, my daughter was in the hospital and we were having a medical procedure and uh, the anesthesiologist came in and said, you know, we have need to have this conversation. This is the medication options. You know, there is a risk with this, their procedure. It is my professional opinion that the risks are minimal compared to the benefits of this procedure. But he looked me dead in the eyes and he says, but it's not my child. And I will be lying to you if I did not tell you that it could go terribly wrong and only you can make that decision. And this was a mainstream medical professional. And I just, I appreciated so much of him connecting with me and looking me in the eyes and understanding his role that he could give his best input. But ultimately I had to live with that decision. And it was like, you know, y'all, it isn't that complex. It's really not informed consent yeah medical privacy and vaccine choice. We believe in this for a lot of other, you know, health avenues or medications or drugs. Why aren't we accepting this for vaccine choice? Right. And I think right along that red flag of a good or bad doctor, informed consent is the number one yes, important sir. element. And how many pediatricians are following CDC guidelines with having never read the box, um, never right. understanding actually dosage of aluminum, never actually researching or digging into the preservatives and the influence when they cross the blood-brain barrier and neurological and toxicity risk. And so all of that right there, I think is extremely important. Um, I want to round things out and I want, I want to share your proclamation. I think that's a really good way to, um, you know, share what y'all believe in. Are, are you able to read that, Jackie? Do you have that pulled up? Or Rebecca? I, I, have, it pulled up here. <laughs> I have it pulled yes. up here as well, if, if it's a, a hustle to find. No, I actually printed it off before we recorded because I knew it was going to come up. So um, I, let me read it first, and then we can go through the action alert around that. Does that sound like a plan? That's great. And then we'll, we'll wrap up with sharing people with how to connect. Okay, awesome. So this is the TFBC proclamation to support Texans right to their livelihood. And I'm just going to read it. So whereas 2020 has seen unprecedented attacks on the liberties and values of Texans, whereas every medical intervention poses risks and no medical intervention is one size fits all. And whereas it is yet unknown if any of the COVID-19 vaccines currently uh, under emergency use authorization by the FDA have the ability to prevent infections, eliminate transmission, or save lives as admitted by medical exper experts, and whereas citizens' health status should never be used as a condition to return to work, maintain or obtain employment, attend school or childcare, or access state services, and whereas mandated medical interventions violate the tenets of informed consent, now, therefore, the citizens of Texas do hereby stand against all attempts by government officials to mandate, force, or coerce any medical test or procedure, including vaccines or contract tracing. 
We further oppose any retaliation against, discrimination against, or removal of any rights of any citizen who declines the above. Citizens should have the freedom from government overreach into their personal medical decisions. You know, it's like Jackie said earlier, it is crazy that we even have to have this conversation. Is this is there should be nothing controversial in that proclamation that these are indeed personal medical decisions and no one should be forced to participate or and with the declining if they refuse there should be no retaliation or discrimination against that citizen it is horrifying that this we are even having to have this conversation but the action alert surrounding this proclamation is that we are encouraging every texan to send this out to their state rep and their state senator asking them to sign on to our proclamation and to send a, if they get any communication back especially if it's a signed and scanned uh, pdf of the proclamation back to send it back to us and you can find all of that information on our blog at our website let's talk about maybe a couple other actionable steps i think that's a great start and providing the resource just to you know, send and, and have signed and print out. Um, but what other actionable steps, I guess, can Texans take? And then maybe we'll take it national too. Well, I think everybody listening, the number one easiest thing you can do is sign up um, to be a member. Uh, Texansforvaccinechoice.com slash join. And this is the best way to communicate with us. Um, we're highly censored on social media. Two years ago, we had um, MailChimp yank our email capabilities. We went to log in to send out an email to our members and our platform had completely been removed. Thank God we had this database. We had an email list that we were able to transfer to a different company who um, doesn't believe in censorship and you know committed to allowing us to communicate with our members. But if we are removed from social media, the only way we are going to be able to uh, contact or communicate with you is if you have signed up. So at the very basics, we need an email address. So texansforvaccinechoice.com slash join. Um, and we keep that information, you know, very confidential. That's not just for Texans. That's, you know, for anybody who really wants to follow along with the organization that is really leading the way in the nation for the advocacy, for the fighting for our rights, um, they can follow along at Texans for Vaccine Choice. Awesome. And then as far as involvement as well, I was so moved in December at the meeting and with all of your work that I wanted to find a way for our listeners to support you and join force and maybe make a heavier imprint. And so we are going to be doing a matching fundraiser for you guys. I will put the link below and um, we'll also be sharing that on social media, but we will have it in the show notes. So wherever you're listening, if it's on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, uh, definitely go over to naturallynourishedrd.com under the uh, show notes for today's episode, episode 224, where you can click on that link and I will be, Becky and I, <laughs> will be uh, matching your donations um, through all the, all the way up to $5,000 and that will go through the end of February. 
This is so incredibly exciting. And we are just so thankful for those who are willing to step up and do things like this and to donate. Um, previously, so much of our support was from the vaccine injured community. And these families will give, you know, five, 10, $15 a month to support the cause. And we're so thankful for that. But to match the scale of the efforts that the opposition mm-hmm. is throwing at us, our organization has to take it to the next level. And by those in the wellness community stepping up and saying, you know what, we will join forces with you. We'll do this match. This is going to be able to just provide the resources to not only fight, you know, in the state capital on the state level, um, but across the entire state of Texas and setting the model for national organizations. Yeah, we are a mm-hmm. um, I am continually blown away at how many organizations call us and saying, you know, we really need your help to get up and running and structured and organized. Can you help us? Can you come to us? And eventually one day my goal is to be all across this nation doing just that but we got to start with what we have that's in texas with texans for vaccine choice and so your support is so appreciated awesome any closing or final thoughts from either of you guys we'll include all the links where you can get involved in the show notes but anything you want to end on You know, Texans for Vaccine Choice um, is truly on the front lines of fighting for your right to inform consent, medical privacy, and vaccine choice. No matter where you are in your journey, we truly believe this. Whether you are new, whether you vaccinate, you don't vaccinate, you're somewhere in the middle, you're seeking information, there is a role for you. This is a community of families who want to support each other, professionals who want to maintain their rights. Um, We are not, you know, as you know, what they portray our movement to be. It is a joy and an honor and a privilege to work for so many families, and we would love to have you join our cause. So no matter where you are, please join us at TexansForVaccineChoice.com. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. I am always inspired hearing both of you and am so happy to support your cause and movement and just grateful for all of the work that you put in fighting for my child, fighting for the children in our country, for medical autonomy and, and freedom. And as you said, it, it shouldn't be much to ask. It, it should be an expectation at at minimal. So I think that this is the time that we really need to stand together and um, have our voices be heard and ensure that we're able to maintain some autonomy within the household. So thank you so much for joining us. We will put links down. And if you enjoyed today's episode and you want to get more involved, definitely make sure that you check out their website and click on the link to donate Anything Helps. And we are happy, like I said, to synergize and kind of bubble wrap that donation for the cause. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
Until next time, stay nourished and be well.